Welcome to No Green Eggs and Ham, a podcast about nothing and everything. It's not a show where we take jabs at the infamous Dr. Seuss, but where we dive into topics like art, weird inventions, pop culture, and anything having to do with cubby-wubby womb room tea. So throw on some clothes, grab a coffee, and ignore your responsibilities as you listen to the Just OK Sounds with your host, me, Sam I Am. Here we go. When I was seven years old, we were living with my paternal grandparents on the south shore of Long Island. And for a seven-year-old, five-year-old, and a four-year-old, we loved it. You know, living with your grandparents was the best. I, I remember times when my grandfather would take me to, like, the Legion or just a bar. And I got to sit at the bar with him while he had whatever he had. I, I think he was doing scotch. And I'd get a club soda or a, a fountain soda. I'd get like Coke. And it was probably the best Coke I've ever had and ever had since. I don't remember Coke tasting as good as it did back then. At least now in those moments when I'm sitting next to my grandfather at a bar. It's just him and I. He would usually take me to go get baseball cards once in a while or go get a Yoo-Hoo on the way home. While we were living there, um, for some reason, my parents decided to put me into uh, karate. I, I'm not positive why. I know they tried to put my brother and I, the middle brother. There was like a, a screening process. Like you had to go in and, and just show some form, you know, just do whatever they said with like punches or something. And I got in, but my brother didn't. But I think that was because he was five. You know, that's unreasonable. So I got in, and it was not a great school. And in fact, it's it's not around now. I I just drove by recently just to see, and it's it's not there. And I, I think part of the reason is because I'm not sure that they actually knew what they were doing. I don't remember learning a lot from that. Other than the fact that if you're bigger... You can beat up on the others. And they would. They would have us, they would form a circle with all the students, and then they'd have a one-on-one um, sparring match. We had gloves and, and uh, foot padding and head padding. And I would just wail on people. It was so much fun. I'm seven years old and just able to, to beat people. And then I remember the instructors laughing. How I knew it wasn't a great school was my test for my orange belt, which was the third belt, so it was white, yellow, orange. The test, and the only thing I had to do in order to get from yellow to orange was 100 punches. The whole class did 100 punches. And that was every belt level. So it wasn't anything above orange in this class. It was a young class, and it was the, you know, I guess like newbies or the lower ranks. So it was just white, yellow, and orange. And you just do 100 punches, and you, you advance. Found out later, that's, that's not exactly a, a measurement of skill. Because it, they weren't looking at form or anything. I got my orange belt, 
And before we, before I could go any further, we moved to the Midwest. I remember one night, I know, side note, I remember one night driving home from a class and it's just my mother and I, and then all of a sudden two guys, we're stopped at a light, two guys jump under the hood of the car and one is on top of the other holding a knife and my mom was freaking out. I was, you know, uh, whatever I was, I don't remember, but uh, no one got hurt as far as I know, at least not on our car. They rolled off and then my mom took off. That was just a, a fun side note. So anyway, when we moved to Nebraska, uh, my neighbor, who I've mentioned before, was taking uh, karate lessons as well. And he was doing it at the local YMCA, which wasn't that local. It was probably like a 20-minute drive because everything was spread out in Nebraska as com- you know, compared to uh, New York. And so I went with him one week. Uh, I had my orange belt. I also had my name written on my uniform, which the school in New York did, but found out later that this new school in Nebraska, they didn't do that. They didn't like people marking up their uniforms. So we met on like the second floor of this YMCA in this little room, kind of smelled like sweat, Um, but it was all ages, all ages, all belt levels. And I remember it being fun. I think the first night I was there, the very first class was like a, like a tumble class, learn how to roll and to, you know, if you're falling, learn how to fall. That was fun. And I didn't know a lot. And I was wearing an orange belt, and they, they questioned that. They're like, why are you wearing this? I think you should go get a different belt. Because they didn't know what I was doing. You know, I didn't learn this kind of stuff. I just knew how to, to punch, you know, and beat up other kids. So I, I, I went to this class, and, you know, it was a lot of fun. It only met on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So that was good. Um, I think I was only going a couple times a week in New York as well. Then I, I went to testing to get my green belt. And testing wasn't at the YMCA, it was at the main dojo. They had different branches of this main building, or main uh, headquarters, I guess you can call it. During this testing, I've never seen so many people in my life. There was tons of people packed in this little room. And I, I didn't know the structure. I didn't know what was going on. But I was there. I tested. The Grandmaster who later on would be a big influence on me, he stopped the proceedings as I was in the middle performing and asked why I had my name written on my uniform. And here I am, you know, eight years... No, at this time, I was 12. Yeah, that's the other thing. It took me a long time to get to that orange belt, even though that that school in New York was so, like, flippant about you know, their testing process. I think I was at the school for a good three years. I'm, I'm positive, but it's uh, it took a long time to get to Orange for some reason. Oh, I remember why. It was because testing in New York at this school, they only had a testing like every six months. And if you missed one, you had to wait a whole year to get to the next level. That's why. And then the school in Nebraska would have a testing like every six weeks. So that was a huge difference. You know, I guess for some reason they just wanted to milk as much money as they could out of you. It, but six months is unreasonable. <laughs> An unreasonable amount of time for a kid to advance to a new belt. Given that the only testing parameters to get my orange belt were 100 punches. I'm sure my parents probably were not happy if they ever, if they even knew that. But that's, it's ridiculous. So that, that's why it took so long to get the orange belts, because it, 
you literally and i think i did miss a couple testings because you know you can't make it all the time so anyway here i am 12 years old standing in front of a group of people i i don't know looking at this beast of a man i mean he's he's a presence in this room he was very tall but he was a big guy and he just commanded respect he walked in the room and you just knew that that was the master there i couldn't give him an explanation he even like called me up in front of him and a couple of the teachers that were from the ymca explained that i was from new york and that's what they did and what happened was my mom whited out my name but you can still see it and the guy ended up giving me a uniform he handed me a new uniform my parents didn't have to pay for it and i went back did what i had to do and got my green belt i guess i showed enough proficiency uh, to do so from that moment on i stopped going to the ymca and had my mom take me to the headquarters we we ended up going to the headquarters and my, my friend ended up going with me once in a while and it got to the point where i was going almost every day you know by the time i got higher in the ranks i was there a lot you know it was school and it was that and became what i wanted to do i watched the movies i i wanted to get into gymnastics so i could do flips and stuff so like i one of the big movies out at the time while you know in the height of my experience was like three ninjas where these kids were like you know beating up everybody and doing flips and stuff but it was something we wanted to do my friend and i were like oh i wish we would have gotten to gymnastics as well but there was no time for any of that you know my i don't know how my parents actually got me over to the class as much as i did i think we carpooled with my neighbor once in a while but for the most part i went to this to the headquarters far more than he did i mean even on weekends i would go sundays was like the the black belt day where they would train brown belts to be as proficient as possible to get their black belt one thing that my the grandmaster always said was if you want a black belt i'll go to macy's and buy you a black belt a lot of schools it's just milking money out of people you know they just want to try to survive because it's very hard to run and maintain a school like this. But that's not what he wanted. He wanted people to be proficient. He always said, it's not practice makes perfect. It's perfect practice makes perfect. So he'd make sure that everyone was at a level that was worthy of the belt that they were in. And worthy of the belt that they were going for. And after a while, uh, he took an interest in me. Uh, I started teaching when I was like 14. Teaching all ages. I remember being, I was a red belt at the time, which didn't, didn't happen. And I would teach people that are older than me. There was a weatherman for the local news, and I was teaching him how to do throws. You know, it, this was a school that had karate, taekwondo, it had judo, it had uh, aikido, it had a bunch of different art forms, you know, kickboxing. There was a lot going on in this school, and they taught a lot, and it wasn't jumbled. It was very uniformed. And I remember, you know, there was a creed that we would... Uh, say at the beginning at the end a lot of respect was in this for for not only your teachers but yourself and your parents i would say yes sir and yes ma'am to my parents and that's just how it was they didn't ask me to do that i did it and i, I learned a lot of self-control and uh, discipline because of this i saw it as a I don't know, a privilege to be a part of i mean it almost felt like military but it was still a lot of fun and i dedicated myself to it I would, I would learn faster than most everybody. 
like after you, you test in the first class you go to, you basically start learning your new form for the belt that you just got. And I would learn it in a night. It usually took a couple weeks for people. I would have it down in a night. And then I would spend the rest of the time before in between testings perfecting that, teaching, and trying to... And I would just observe. And I would watch others higher than me and see what they're doing. The, the, the Grandmaster, he ended up, for some reason, taking a big interest in me to the point where he didn't charge my parents anymore. I wasn't paying monthly. I wasn't paying for belt fees or testing fees for new uniforms as I, as I grew. He wanted to teach me almost differently than the others. And like, I, I don't know, it was, it was strange because it, it actually took me a while to get my black belt. I, I was 14, 15, 15 when I got my black belt. So between 12 and 15, normally you can get a black belt, you know, year and a half. If you're going all the time, and you're working hard and you're dedicating yourself to you know to the form and you know paying attention and doing what you need to do he taught me things that normal brown belts didn't learn i was learning things that were second third degree level movements and forms and stuff and it was an honor this guy took an interest in me and taught me in a way that was going to be more fulfilling and and hone my skills better and it was, it was great for a, a person my age to be able to, you know, have that level of nurturing, I guess, or care as far as from a th- person that isn't a family member. And I enjoyed it a lot. And I learned a lot. And I left that school when I, I left after my parents got divorced. I didn't go as much. I would teach once in a while, but I didn't you know, go further in training. Um, I wish I did. I, I was I was a few ranks into black belt, and I, I, I don't know. I, I wish I did more. I wish I continued. And even to this day, I want to, like, learn a new art form, you know, because I just, I still have the, the urge in, in me or the desire in me to, to learn something new. I think at, at the height of what I was doing, I was learning seven different martial arts and a different level belt in all of them and when I got recruited to DC um, that's when everything kind of stopped like I was out of it for about a year or so and then I got recruited to DC to teach and I was doing it there I didn't really care for you know I don't know it wasn't the same I wasn't learning anything new it was just for teaching which I I did enjoy teaching but I had done it since I was 14 and by this time I was 21 and, you know, I was kind of like, I want to learn something new. I'm not getting anything from this anymore. And even though I was, like, I was moments from being officially licensed, um, it wasn't it wasn't enough. I mean, this was the career I was going to do. I mean, if you think about it, I was seven years old when I started. I was 21 when I got to D.C. You know, 14 years, maybe 13 if I had, like, time in between that I, I took off. It's a long time to do something, and I dedicated a lot of my life to doing it. And my my parents, you know, they they cultivated that. Where's the time? There's no time to, to drive a half an hour out of the way, then drop your kid off, go home, and then come back again. You know, an hour and a half later. I remember it was like I would go for all the classes in a night. I wouldn't just go for just one. I would go for at least two, and then I would teach. So I, I was there for a couple hours at least. 
Anyway, it was a wonderful experience for me to be able to be at a level that I was and be seen as something that uh, obviously I, I think they saw me for more than I was. I wish I didn't take that year or whatever it was, but you know, life happens. And without that extra bit of training, who knows if I would have ended up in DC and ended up where I am now. So everything happens for a reason. And I'm glad I, I am where I am. But I, I do think about it once in a while. And I do think about that instructor who played such a pivotal part in my life. And in my book, I actually, one of the characters is based on him in some way. Because uh, he was a big part of my life during that time. And it took an interest in me that, uh, you know, like I said, outside of my family, just didn't happen. So I'm very, very grateful for him and for what he did for me. And he, he had a philosophy of, um, it was God first, family and friends, school, then karate. He always made it so that karate was always not in the forefront of your mind. Like he won, he, he checked people's grades. He made sure that the parents, he was involved with the parents. Like if, if something was wrong with the, the child, like the child wasn't acting appropriately or something, he wouldn't let them in the class. You know, the, the parents could come and talk to him. He always had an open door policy whenever he was there. And if the kid was acting up at home, he was going to get punished at, uh, at the dojo. He took a real interest in all the students. And I know that he still does now. I, I, I see updates once in a while on, on Facebook. And I haven't talked to him in years. I wrote a letter a few years ago to him. And it was, a, it was too hard for me to send it out. Because I didn't realize how much of an impact he made in my life. And even now, I'm you know, a little choked up about it. But I, I got to jump on that soon. Because I mean, he, he was old when I was, <laughs> when I was learning. And I know his health is probably not great. He had some cool stories. I know this is a longer podcast and I'm, I'm trailing. But this man had such a life. He reminds me of my father-in-law. Tough life. He had a twin brother. The two of them, they learned in Korea how to fight and we were part of the the korean karate federation you know different schools are have different federations that they belong to and this is the korean karate and he was a grandmaster who sat on a board of the u.s and also other countries i mean he was high up in the ranks and he had a twin brother that they they grew up learning this stuff together and I remember one story, which mirrors pretty close to one of my father-in-law's stories. Him and his brother were with this girl, and they were at a carnival. And they had enemies. You know, I, I don't know why. I don't know where they were. That's not important. But somehow they, they were jumped by a big group of guys. And the girl that they were with was beaten badly as well. After that, I think, you know, within a day or two, they knew all these guys and they went to every one of their houses and beat the daylights out of each of those people specifically the ones that beat up the girl because that was egregious and they wouldn't stand for it and they were jumped so it's not like they didn't know what they were doing they were attacked by a group and blindsided so they went to all those houses and and beat them up my father-in-law was jumped by a group of guys and he went door to door afterwards and uh, and beat each one of them up 
because he was not someone you messed with unless you're a group of guys. It took it took more than a handful of people to take this man down, and uh, they regretted it after that. And this this guy, his twin brother died years and years before I even came to the school, and there were murals on the wall with, with him and some of the different things that they had had done. It, both of them had world records, brick breaking and glass breaking. They would <clears throat> one broke a glass bottle with his fingertips, another one broke. Uh, a four-inch-thick brick with his fingertips. And so they had murals everywhere. They had statues, not statues, trophies everywhere and pictures of all the things that they had done. And he had, he loved his brother. He loved family. This guy had a ton of stories. I remember he was a big guy and didn't look like he could move around a lot. He didn't show. Like, he didn't really teach a lot anymore, except for the brown belts on, on the special, like, Sunday brown belt camp like the black belt camp with four brown belts and for for me every once in a while while another instructor was teaching he would come into the room and everyone stops and he would walk through the crowd of of people on the floor and start like telling stories and it would it, it all had something it all had a point was centered around something that we were learning or movement or uh, a form or I remember him coming up to me one time to demonstrate something and I was told to stand still what he did was in a flash hit me but only so I could just feel it not to hurt me but I felt in a like that that's all it took and I felt him hit me in six different spots in my body this is a big guy who couldn't i mean he was on a cane for most of the time you know he had he had weight issues he had heart issues and he it was like yoda you know (laughs) moving around very slowly uh, uh, and then he fights um that whatever guy and is flipping around and you know going going crazy it was like that it was insane to see it was it was crazy he was it was incredible he had a lot of knowledge he was very good at what he did. And the few times that he actually came out to display stuff, it left everybody in awe. It always did. And his stories were always amazing. I think we heard some of the stories multiple times. But, you know, that's the way it was. I know people that tell the same story over and over again, and I do it too. I miss him. I miss the experience. I miss being there. I remember the testings. I remember being on the floor. I remember completing my task when you're a brown belt going into well different levels have different things you have to do in the testings usually there's there's forms you have to do katas and then there's these other little mini forms that you do with somebody else that shows the different techniques in the kata that you learned that's how you they started you learning the the katas for the new belts different levels had board breaking i think that started even in green and as you went up, there were more boards to break. And the brown belt required four breaks, one with each arm and one with each leg. You could do whatever movement you wanted to do, any kind of break, but it had to be one on each side. And I remember I had a hard time sometimes with, especially my left side, breaking a board. There was, it was all mental. These boards weren't the strongest in the world. They just, 
it was very mental at times. And I remember breaking on the last strike, which was my left leg. I broke my toe, but I also broke the board. And as soon as I went through, I heard my dad. Um, he goes, yeah, because he knew it was like just something to get over. And it was it was very precious. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I'm trailing off. As you, as you went further along in the ranks, there was more to do in testings. Testings lasted all day long. And it was always a Saturday. All day long. And it was so crowded that they would have the lower belts go first. And then they would say, you can go if you'd like to or you can watch. Preferably they wanted you to go so others can get in. Because there were people waiting outside, watching through the windows. It was all an experience. And then when they had the, the belt reveal a week later it was like a banquet so people brought food and it was a big ordeal and they made it um very ceremonial for the kids you know you got your belt the grandmaster presented you with your belt and your certificate i still have some of those certificates i don't have all the belts i do have my black belt one of my black belts um the one with my name on it that was engraved that not graves sewn in uh, my instructor had me had it done for me I even have the boards from my brown belt or from my black belt testing. I have the boards that I broke in order to get my black belt. It's they're roped up, hiding in a closet. I've kept those over the years. And I don't think I'll ever let those go. Thank you for listening to No Green Eggs and Ham. Editing is by Yobino Consulting in Glencove, New York. Producers for the show are me, myself, and I. The theme song is written and performed by Donnie Ronaldo. On a guitar that I gave him. Because I don't know how to play. If you reach this far in the show, Please take an additional few seconds to leave us a review on whatever app you're using to listen to us ramble on about nothing and share the podcast with your friends. See you, not see you, next time.